This episode of Reasonably Spontaneous Conversation is brought to you in part by Clay Boykin Life and Business Coaching, because we all get stuck at times. For more information, visit clayboykin.com. By Janelle Bean, for fun and engaging children's books with cute and colorful characters. For more information, visit janellebean.com. And by Wise Owl Organizing, simply set up for you. Organizing consulting and clarity coaching, virtual or in person. For more information, visit wiseowlorganizing.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Reasonably Spontaneous Conversation. This is a series, so stick around over the course of it. Ron, welcome, and welcome to the show. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Well, now, here's the thing. You and I have just met. Yes. So I need you to talk to me so that people can see two people getting a chance to get to know each other, two artists that are getting a chance to, to know each other. Okay. And one of the reasons why I asked how old you are, and you're like 42 now, right? That's correct. All right, you're 42. Well, so I rewound the tape on me. I'm 74 this year on when I was 42. I was 42 in 1990. I mean, it was great to be white and to be a man. Are you fucking kidding me? I am telling you, I was at the first of the line. People who were hiring were like me. I'm, I'm talking about even in the film industry where I am. Okay. I mean, it was so this this was my experience. So you're mm -hmm. getting a chance to look at the absolute personification of white male privilege during that prime time of my creating career, like you are here, mm -hmm. going ahead and doing that. And I just and I just want to acknowledge that. De definitely. Well, I mean, I, th I think that I uh, will. Uh, thank you definitely for acknowledging that i think but i think also uh when you think about you know if you did have the privilege would you also say that you had the drive and the tenacity and the talent to go with it and also absolutely hey because, it, yeah. it takes a lot of work to get from yeah. third base to home well, i'm not saying i'm not saying mm -hmm. i'm not minimizing my work ethic absolutely but i am just telling you the opportunities mm -hmm. that i had that i the choice my choices were so much broader okay that's all I'm saying about white male privileges, because mm -hmm. I want to be, be able to believe, Ron, is that we can hold two thoughts. Mm -hmm. Like, for example, we can come to a racial reconciliation in the United States that, that, that heals a lot of our wounds. At the same time, we can acknowledge that there are more opportunities for uh, for uh, African-American and black uh, and people of color than have ever been in the history, being able to go from zero to relevance, to be mm -hmm. able to do this has more in your hands, but both of those things can be true rather than to say one or the other. So what do you think? I do think that there is uh there is more opportunities now than there was you know, ever before. You know, and right. I think we're seeing that because I think the numbers are showing that there is the audiences have changed or with people feel like they had a a monopoly on exactly what works you're seeing yeah. different you're seeing all kind of different shows i mean you just never know what's going to be but now you see an audience that also they're they're just they're they're voting with their with their streaming numbers 
you know, on what yeah. they want to watch. And, and so exactly. And, and that's the thing is that a lot of times if uh, if the if the audience doesn't get what they want, you know, the person that does serve them, they will go to that and, and you'll flock to you, you'll flee to that. So you definitely are seeing a lot more opportunities. Well, I in having in having those opportunities. So how are you? All right. So now we've gotten the fact that this. All right. Now tell me how how you would you like me to refer to your racial background as black as African American as a, a person of color? What is your preferred so that I can feel comfortable when I'm talking about generically, I'm talking about our uh, racial uh, work together? Well, any of the three, any of those three is fine. I mean, do you have a I, preference? I, so, so there's no, all right. So I, I, I that's what I, I want. I don't particularly have a per preference because I'm a black man. I'm an African-American man. Yes. I'm a man of color. So all of those boxes checked. Like well, neither, not call me one or the other doesn't offend me is kind of what I'm saying. So. That's what I wanted to know. I mean, that, because this is one, this is some of the questions that white people mm -hmm. are concerned with. How mm -hmm. do we have this conversation? How mm -hmm. do we have the important conversations that we need to have. How do I meet Ron at mm -hmm. that head and heart level so that you and I, I mean, let me tell you, over the course yeah. of my life, I mean, back when I, uh, the, the, you, I don't know if you know of him, but Bubba Smith and, and Toadie Smith and all, uh, you know, the, the, uh, he, he went on and did television after he, after he was a, this amazing football player at the university. Police Academy, yeah. Police Academy. Uh, yeah. Play right. Hightower. Okay. Exactly. But, but anyway, but he, I had him on the show and I spent, I mean, I have had, I have been treated over my life mm -hmm. by African-American families and mm -hmm. people better than any other race. Mm -hmm. In well, my experience, okay. Okay. I, I, I'm just letting you know, Mike, I'm talking about graciousness. Mm -hmm. I'm talking about kindness, feeding me, bringing me in, being open hearted. I mean, it is an, I have had an extraordinary experience mm -hmm. with all of the African American uh, people that I have had by by a just way in the in, okay. in the in the numbers. And I and I don't know what that is about. I don't know what it is that I have been because as I watch your films, mm -hmm. and I see the darkness mm -hmm. that had go that you have to go through that that, that is that is go, uh, going through the films. And you know, so we're, you know, when we're talking about uh, Ma Malcolm Percy seal, and the character that you did in that, or you're, you're talking about uh, your, uh, the, 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 the film with your brother, uh, where you play uh, with your brother. Yes. Give me the name. I'm Brotherly Love. Brotherly Love. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you are really talking about some really deep and profound issues. Well, I want to go back to what you were saying. First, I want to address that. Please. First of all, one of the one of the first main things is that I know a lot of times when you're dealing with two, two people different races, it can be uncomfortable understanding how do I address you. And I think the yeah. most important thing is to address me per, as a person, as a man. Thank you know, regardless if I'm black, if I'm Hispanic, if I'm Asian, I'm a man. For example, when I go into a pitch meeting with a network, I'm not going in there saying I'm a black man with a black show. I'm going in there with as a man with a show. Now, and it may or may not have a lot of the black experience involved in it. Yeah. You know, because one of the things that happened to me in 1999 and 2000 mm -hmm. was when I was in college, they used to have these um, 
these uh, DVDs you can rent. Sure. And I, so I would take two home every weekend. And then I was exposed to all these different movies that I particularly didn't see in my demographic. Yeah. You know, and, and uh, the, the like what, had, for example, for example, well, going to the movie, A Beautiful Mind by Ron Howard starring Russell Crowe was a film that definitely was something that was totally different than I was exposed to. When I went there and I was watching, seeing the artistry and seeing the acting and the talent, it just took me out of just what I was accustomed to and gave me desire to look for other ah, things. So, ah. um, and also, I don't look at particular things as a Black film or anything. I look at it as a film, particularly about maybe a culture or experience or a subject matter. For example, Unbrotherly Love, is not particularly about black brothers. It's it about is... if you have a younger brother who adores his older brother, his older brother was a tyrant to him coming up, and you have have that you haven't dealt with those unresolved feelings. What do you do? And it just so happens you have an opportunity to talk to him to get that closure <sighs> when you lost your daughter. Now yes. in life, this pain <sighs> and things that we deal with, they don't come in the most convenient time. What do you do? How do you have that conversation? And it is those kind of things about how we treat each other. And I know a lot of my projects are universal things. When we pray on them, it's specific. But everything else has pretty much been universal so that you couldn't put a color on it. It's a situation, you know, type of thing. So that's the way I felt about uh, about um, brotherly love, you know, because I was I could feel the situation, even though it was framed. It was framed in, in watching your character. Mm -hmm work through his anger enough to be able to sit there with because he, he has a lot of unresolved a lot of un, but to be able to sit there while he deals mm -hmm. with that and talks it out and being able to to have that conversation yeah, well, because the thing is, I know a lot of times in writing, they talk about how people don't say what they really feel. Yeah. They, you know, they hide or, or they they took it or they, they resolve it or, or they, you know, they suppress it. Well, I really like seeing characters have their say. I because I think it is healthy. A lot of times, you know, if we I remember um, my ex-wife and I, I was talking to her about my, my brother and I was talking about all these things. And I had a Samuel Jackson in the backseat moment, Pulp Fiction. Wait a minute. Why am I telling you this? I need to have the conversation with him. It was, I was sitting there, I was like, hold on, why am I talking to you about this? He's the one. And, and, and it just came to me, you know, and, and the thing about it is a lot of times, and here's the thing, a lot of times when we've hurt people. Yeah. It's hard. Nobody wants the humble pie. Nobody wants the because you don't want to think about it. You want to deal with it. But what I think that what well, for me, what yes. I've learned is that there's another there's another side on that door of closure, of peace to sit here and say, Dennis, I wronged you. I was, <sighs> And to be able to sit there and take whatever you give me to take whatever, however you make me feel right there to sit here and say, I apologize. I haven't done it since. And you can still bring it up. But I've dealt with it. Yes, there's something empowered about that. Oh, and that's this, what I'm hoping that people will see. I, 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 you know, I mean, this is this is the neat thing about it because I want us to be able to say uh, that that if if we as human beings are going to process this, because it's, it really feels like that that mm. that in our media culture that we pushed. Uh, we push people apart. There's a lot in in social media. It's very easy to go apart. It, to me, mm. it's like that goddamn. Ukraine. So easy okay. to drop drop bombs. Mm -hmm. Drop bombs is easy. Build something. Mm -hmm. That's hard. Do something worthwhile. Build something instead of just dropping a goddamn bomb on on on, mm -hmm. on a place. And, and and that's what I feel about human relations is that if we can sit down and have a conversation, we're going to get through 
a lot of the issues just like the two brothers are doing but that to me is the hard emotional work that human soul to soul work mm -hmm. that i was so impressed with and seeing you and seeing you in that film well I, I definitely thank you so much i really appreciate that but it's another thing what i realize a lot of times through my my journeys in life is that a lot of times to hold on to something and then to tell someone they might be serious and they may use it as an excuse saying well why didn't you tell me if I tell you, no matter what you do, you can't say 30 years you didn't know. You know, so and then we're going to see where that's at. And these things can be difficult to deal with. But one of the things that my mother did growing up, one of the things that she would do is that she would continuously uh, talk to us. My mother worked in Department of Corrections for over 30 years. Yeah. And one of her goals other than was other than for us to do well was to ensure we didn't end up locked up. Oh, man. How would that, what that must that be like? Tell me her name, her first name. Uh, her or, or her name? Her first name is Vernell. Would she feel comfortable with me calling her by her first name? I don't oh. know. What would you prefer? What would she prefer she, she when prefers, I'm first meeting her? She prefers uh, Miss Watts. She prefers Miss Watts. Watts. All right. Let me talk with uh, talk about Miss Watts. I I am stunned that she would have to go from that correctional facility and mm -hmm. come home and see her children. How did that, how did Miss Watts do that? One of the things that she was able to do was she was, she was fantastic at being able to leave the job at the door, which wow. isn't easy. I don't know particular recipe. When you talk about, for example, we just lost Bill Russell. Yes. And Bill Russell was the evidence of having a strong mind and being able to deal with because what he had to deal with in the time that he came up and the time that he played is unprecedented. Unprecedented. I, mean, no one would I, but his mental fortitude, his mental fortitude, which you saw the way that he was able to conduct himself and to be able and the way that he played basketball, he dealt with it on a mental level. And coached basketball yes. too. So his it's not level, just yes, it's yes, not yes, just yes, it's not just playing. Mm -hmm. Not only did that, but he's also with anyway. Well, yeah, absolutely. Eleven rings. The last ring, he was a player coach. And when you think about John Havlicek, I believe he has seven rings. Bob Cousy has six rings. So Bill Russell has eleven rings, which means that he did it without some of the All Stars and some of the Hall of Famers that he played with, which isn't exactly. easy. Exactly. You know? So yeah. Not at, no. I mean, there there is, there is no. And one of the things that I love about, because uh, I, I I think about this in 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 the way of this because I I I'm, I want to do this piece on on white privilege mm -hmm. and competition and where I think some of the anxiety is coming in the culture mm -hmm. is that I look at the 1948 Detroit Pins Pistons that okay. won the championship year of my birth mm -hmm. all white men and I wanted to put that how would that team face up against the 22 Lakers or the 22 uh, uh, sons or the or yeah. the 22 i'm just one because there's a competition and it isn't that we can't up our game because mm -hmm. you see men mm -hmm. are up in their game but there is more competition mm -hmm. at the table than there was instead of us getting by on just being able to go we got to work harder and i think that's where some of the resentment that we're seeing out there in the in the culture mm -hmm. i what think, think? there's well, I think, resentment, I think resentment comes in all kinds of ways. You know, it, it could be black and white. It could be lazy versus hardworking. It could yeah. be fear of taking. See, here's the thing. I have seen more specifically in, you know, working in corporate America for the years that I have. Yeah. I've seen more favoritism than I have seen racism. Yeah. Racism is probably was there, but it wasn't as overt as the favoritism or as someone who's sitting here saying, you know what? You know, I don't really care what color you are. 
if I allow you to shine, you're going to make me look bad. Exactly. Because you're bringing 95% every day. I'm bringing 48. And exactly. I'm getting by on the 48. And I can't allow you to expose me. You know, so, you know, so there, yeah. there is that. I mean, they're all different type of reasons. Like I said, you do have your white privilege. You have that. But at the same time, when you think about, when I think about somebody like, you know, J.J. Abrams, I don't yeah. think about white privilege. I think about the fact that he said himself when he was at Sarah Lawrence College, he was working on all these screenplays instead of going to the party. Whether they were bad screenplays or not, he was working on that. Yeah. You know, even to the point, you know, and I think you kind of see that, you know, just like when you look at someone like a Denzel Washington, when it's, I don't, I, I read somewhere that he was saying, listen, he got to a point in his career said, give me every project that Harrison Ford turned down to go for another trajectory. But when you look on, on the screen uh, of what he does, it, you know, it's magic. I do think it, it, it takes luck. I do think it's opportunity. And oh, you know, yeah, I, I absolutely. You know, and no question is, is that there is an element of luck in it yeah and the, one of the things that impressed me I, I i apologize for cutting you off and if i did please bring it back again remember mm -hmm. that was our agreement you have Absolutely. a point you have something you say uh-uh come back i mm -hmm. we we we, gotta, we we're not de dealing with that yet okay uh, but there is your degree of professionalism and your degree of project management and the hard work that you put into it shows on every frame that you do, whether you're acting in the uh, whether you're acting or whether or not you're down here i mean I'm, I'm i'm watching an artist grow as you go first and foremost thank you so much for that because i do work very hard at it but at the same time one of the things i tell young filmmakers or actors is who do you admire for example yeah. the discovery of ridley scott who is, you know, is, 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 a, is a gentleman, he's, he's English, you know, he is one of the greatest directors, I feel like, of our time. Amazing. Uh, Aliens, Black Hawk Down, Thelma Louise, G.I.J. And Jay, television. He also went into oh, television. Oh, so, oh, let, so. Let, don't talk. Let, let, hey, the good wife. Don't talk. Hey, don't start. Because, <laughs> but I mean, one of the things, I mean, because he directed two 2,700 commercials before he did his first feature film, which was, you know, The Duelist. Yes. Going back, you know, because RSA is the company he started, as a, they do commercials. Yep. I think that he listened to his interviews over and over and over and over again. You know, what I would, when he would say things like, you know, as a director, it's his job to oversee every single thing. That told me it was my responsibility. It's about the script. It's not about, I got a cool idea. Let me see if I can make something out of it. You can have a cool idea, but where's the story? Is yeah. there a story? What are you trying to say? And that you have to be your biggest critic. Absolutely. You have to know if it worked or not. You know, but then also when he talks about, you know, doing using multiple cameras when you can. I know for me, when I can, for him to yeah. use multiple cameras, because if we spend all day shooting you, and I gave my best performance six hours ago, then the film is going to suffer. But Absolutely. if you do something amazing, if you do something where you can't, it's like telling a joke twice, if you do something, we got it. You know? Exactly. And, and, and it is the magic. Yes. And it does happen once. You can, yes. you can never, I mean, I, I, I hear this whenever I, uh, I, I study. I mean, so mm -hmm. as an actor, cutting your teeth in, as, a play, as a theater actor, mm -hmm. Can you talk a little bit about that experience and what that uh, what what that that impelling was about? For me, it goes back to doing skits in, in, in church, you know, doing little parts and mm -hmm. plays in church. It also I have to tell this story. When I was in elementary school, I got chosen to sing "A Shepherd Has a Very Hard Life," and I was terrified. <laughs> I did. I didn't want to do it. No, no, I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. I want to do it. I want to do it. Finally, my teacher was like, "Oh my god! Oh my god! I'm gonna give this other guy. I'm gonna give this other guy to do it." So he got to do it. As soon as she gave it to him, I was like, 
I started learning. I was like, hold on, I'm not doing it anymore. And I learned the song. And then I was ready to perform the song. But I, get, I gave the opportunity away, you know, and that taught me to not ever do that again. You know, mm-hmm. um, another thing is for me is that um, watching the movies, you know, watching the Goonies coming up, watching Back to the Future, you know, watching Teen Wolf, all these films where I'm seeing uh, there's all these, you know, these experiences and these adventures that I'm just relating to. It was just something about that. Oh. I was like, and then also for me, being someone who has, uh, has you know, been basically dealing with, you know, being overweight for majority, uh, yep. being the teasing, you know, I'm also someone who, uh, young ladies from elementary school up until my uh, sophomore year of high school was called ugly. Yep. So for me, acting was a chance for me to be someone else. Exactly. Someone else that people will uh, to pay attention to or just to be up in front of people. You know, at first it was the attention and then it was it was just this feeling of, man, this is just like on television. I didn't know exactly what it was, but exactly. I knew that I, was, I really, really enjoyed it. And I was working hard to be good at it. Can can you talk with me about because this is very important for me right now, but mm-hmm. as, as I'm doing it again, knowing where I'm coming from, I am really working on self-acceptance. Self-acceptance okay. is one of the big aspects of my life at my age and at my economic uh, level, at what mm-hmm. I want to do, where I want It all comes back to that self-acceptance because when I'm accepting myself, mm-hmm. I tend to be able to bring more creativity into that. And, and my sense is that you've done a lot of work on self-acceptance and working on that. So could you help me a little here? Could you give me some perspective i think that we have to make a decision and ask ourselves do i do we really like ourselves yeah what do we not like about ourselves and if and to identify that and then can i change it or can i accept it if you can change it and it's something that you know that that would make you feel better or make you walk you know walk a lot taller then Mm -hmm. definitely do it you know one of the biggest people other than my mother that helped me really understand who i am and that's okay a man named david e gordon he produced my first two plays with me and the man has been instrumental because here is a man, God fearing man, uh, you know, who, who's a, who's a, who's a, a cheerful servant of God, Lo- uh, you know, uh, just terrific husband, terrific father, and someone who was very nice, very kind, very giving. And people, unfortunately, would take advantage of him, which I didn't like. Right. I'm a huge David E. Gordon fan, and I, and I thank him for everything he's ever done for me. But right. what I realized, I, I said, David, I can't stand it. I, I was like, if you don't, if you don't want to curse him out, I will. And he would say, no, Ron, no, I'm doing this unto God. This is what I'm doing. What he showed me by seeing, by watching what he did, not what he said, was that, you know, I'm secure with who I am. This is who wow. I am. I like myself and I'm not going to change. And what I realized, because at the time I was around a lot of people that uh, for all, you know, for when you think of you, when you ca- I cast you in a play, I'm the writer, director, producer, and I come in on, I got my lines together before anybody mm-hmm. else. Mm-hmm. You would think that you would come in ready. Yeah. And I had all of these people around me that I, that I felt that didn't give me the particular, didn't respect me or that that wasn't really serious about the craft. And I realized I was around the wrong people. Ah. And I realized that I had to get, you know, to get around other people that not only appreciated, but also wanted to go have the same work ethic, you know, and the same quality of it. See, I believe in, you know, working with people who are talented, non-ego, who come together to do a great project because you do that and then you all can, you, you can pretty much branch off. Who doesn't want to be a part of, of a great project? You know, who, yeah. for example, when you think about something like, for me, a runaway jury, brilliant cast. When you think about sleepers, tremendous cast. 
you know, and for those who who may not have got the reference, Barry Levinson, Robert De Niro, Kevin oh. Bacon, uh, Brad Pitt, Jason Patrick, just to give you a reference. Oh. Runaway Jury, Dustin Hoffman, uh, Gene Hackman, John Cusack, Rachel Weisz, just, just to name a few, just to give a reference. So, I I, I love this because it... Um... I, I love that you keep coming back to work ethic because when I when I when I watch I, I recently I watched uh, Ethan Hawke's uh, piece on Paul Newman and and uh, Joanne Woodward, uh, the last movie stars. It's a six part series. Okay. I'm telling you, it knocked my ass because it was the first time it was done mm -hmm. on Zoom during during all that's of right. it. Okay, that's right. I was interview with them. Yeah. Oh man. Okay. I can, I can it was done okay. on Zoom okay. with all of their friends. George Clooney played, uh, played uh, Paul Newman, uh, for, for the tape. You know when they had to read yeah. transcripts parts, and, okay. and you know, and and so and and Laura Linney, I believe, played Joanne when they were reading doing trans. But mm -hmm. it, it's the damnedest thing I've ever seen. As a director, I would love for you to see it and just see HBO Max, uh, and uh, it, it is so worth seeing the style. Mm -hmm. Because it it's, it freed me up to be able to believe that here on on virtual we can still it's all about the content. Yes. What's the richest conversation that I can have with Ron Dillard? What can I do? How deep can I go that you are willing to meet me there, or I'm willing to find you there, mm -hmm. and we have a deep conversation that that's meaningful that says yeah. something that we're that we're not just leaving on there we're not just showing up and going well uh i want you to see my latest uh my latest <laughs> website that i have up and you know i mean let's let's talk meaningfully let me help help me get to know you and what i need to know because with your work ethic is holy christmas that's the core of it uh, uh for, for me and being able to get back up and do the reps and do the next time and and anyway it, it, take well, it somewhere ron well well the, the thing for me is that right being the fact that i'm a writer i write and create projects that, I'm, that fascinate me yeah here's the thing when i first decided to start uh my company which was called ron winston entertainment now ronald dillard jr entertainment because winston's my middle name and there was it was a little confusing right so we straightened that out I, I looked around, you know, being from in Richmond, Virginia, I looked around and said, okay, what kind of plays are being being told? Now, in Richmond, Virginia, there were, at the time, there were a lot of plays dealing with the 1800s. So I felt that was very well represented, okay? I wanted to talk about stories about today, about why we as people treat people the way that we do. Now, my brother has been a lasting, had a lasting impact on me because he's the basis of two of my projects. One of them is A Player's Last Place. My second play produced play that I produced is because... Uh, my brother, I would see him, women would flolic to him. I'm talking about, I mean, they would. He had he it. Never, he, he had the, the whatever it was, the it. Whatever he, it absolutely. Was, he had it and they wanted it. <laughs> so it was, it was twofold. It was twofold. And yes. the thing is that I, I believe that had he not married, you know, his wife that, he, that, he's, that he's still with, and had he not changed his ways, he would have ended up like the like the Sean character in um, a player's last play, yeah. because and what I learned, what I what I what I what I observed about him was a lot of women who were very nice and very kind, he wasn't as kind to a lot of women that were boisterous and just like you can take it or leave it, he I I mean he, he would 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 serve them gourmet, yeah, and you know just look and just looking at that and just trying to examine that because. 
I remember one of the best compliments I got is that my ex-wife had a friend who asked me to lunch because yeah. she wanted to talk about the play. And she said, Ron, how did you capture a woman's perspective so well? Yeah. And I said, the best answer I had was, I know pain. And unfortunately, I know what it's like to love someone that doesn't want you. Yes. Or doesn't like or love you to the extent that you will. When yeah. someone is in it with you for other reasons, they'll only go so far. Like if they're in it, if they're in it to get more benefit, you know, or to extract from you or to use you or to play you, they'll only go but so far for you. They'll, okay, I'll, I'll do this for you, but I'm not going to do all that when they're no. not all in. Yeah, exactly. And that's the feeling that I hope that people probably had know about. But, and, and for me, a lot, I, I know I've seen a lot of pain in my life. Mm -hmm. There are a couple of options. I can let it transfer me into someone who now afflicts the pain. I can let it trap me and, and, and keep me hostage for the rest of my life, or I can use it to hopefully help other people. And that's one of the things I look to do through my art. And I write what fascinates me. I mean, absolutely fascinates me. The idea of whether what people say about it, or for example, I deserve better. It's about domestic violence, not a new topic. And for me, I don't want to do something like that without bringing something new. Yeah. And in this, and without, I, I, I talked to over 40 women and did some research on it, 70% of the men who abused women, they saw it growing up. In the character, you you heard the reason why the young lady stays. Whether you agree with it, you think it's silly, you hear it. You also heard the abuser, why he does it. And I only put that in there because I feel like that's a key to hopefully solving or helping someone. But then there's another dynamic that I've never seen before. The father who taught his son to use women like Kleenexes to dominate their mind is a reformed man. Because he lost the love of his life, his wife. Oh. She didn't die. This is a this is a story, true story that happened. My, my my grandmother left my grandfather. He pulled out a revolver and they said, "You know, I'm going I'm going to blow your brains out." Yeah. She looked him in his eyes and she said, "Go ahead." Because one way or the other, I'm leaving tonight. He lost his nerve. She walked out. And in this story, she now finds a man who appreciates her. And then the father in this tale, he may have he, he he goes to counseling, which for a lot of baby boomers, a lot of men who you know grew up in that time, they don't do that. But he does. He gets reformed. And but now he can never find another woman. He now realizes she was the love of his life. He goes back to her. She laughs in his face. And now he knows he will never ever truly have to have happiness because he's lost her. He tries to discipline his grown son who says, How dare you? Because you taught me to be like this. I did that in that because I've never seen that dynamic before and just hoping that it helps someone. And and, and the, one of the biggest compliments of that play was the elderly couple was watching the DVD and the husband looked over to the wife and said, you know, was I like that? She said, honey, you was just like that or worse. The man used to abuse her. He, has, he, he now got himself together, reformed, and he couldn't recognize himself in the wow. character. Where all right, let's talk about reform because yes. I'm very interested in the concept of redemption. That was part one of my reasonably spontaneous conversation with Ron Dillard Jr. Join us for part two. This episode of Reasonably Spontaneous Conversations has been brought to you in part by In Search of the New Compassionate Male. For more information, go to newcompassionatemail.com.